Okay, you're on. Okay. Magnetic too. Cool. Well, somebody coming in? Somebody's coming in the door or not? <laughs> Couldn't tell. Well, let's pray briefly before we begin. God, I thank you for the chance to be together, to worship freely as a group. I pray that you will touch our hearts, help me to speak your words um, in humility and truth in Jesus' name. I, uh, I want to start this morning with the scripture from Galatians, chapter 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. That's a very full passage. (laughs) Uh, But what I want to talk about today is um, Christian growth. What is it? How does it happen? Um, how can we be thinking if we desire that for ourselves? Um, and also a little bit of personal reflection for myself. Some of you may remember um, about a year ago in July, um, my uncle tragically died. I was able to um, read some scripture and have some reflection at his funeral. But it was it was very um, trying for me and many in my family just to to think about that in the context of who God is, the tragedy of his, his death. And so um, a year later, I've had a chance to kind of reflect on personally how I've changed in the past year, and it kind of started there. So um, first I want to talk about growth. Um, what is growth? How does it happen? We all kind of can think about growth. You look outside and you see the trees and the flowers. You look at a child and see them grow. Um, But to really understand growth, we have to look at the nature of growth. So growth, it is gradual, it is inevitable, it's internal, and it's symmetrical. These are qualities of of Christian growth. So first, gradual. So we we read about the fruits of the Spirit, right? um, Paul chooses the term fruit for a reason. You think about a fruit tree growing. Um, You think about... We are the vine. He is the vine and we are the branches. You think about growth and you can't really see it happening, but you know it's happened, right? So this is one reason I think we're so fascinated with the time-lapse photography. You've seen that, right? Like over time you see a flower open or you see a tree grow. It's just fascinating 
Because if you sit there and watch it, you can't see it. And yet, it can happen. You know, you can have a flower open in a day, but we don't sit there and watch it open. Or you see a child grow, you know. You may not see Simon every day, right? Like I do. But if you haven't seen him in a month, then he comes in and you think, wow, I think you've grown. You know, have you grown an inch or something? Because you don't see it. We don't see it happening. But we know, we say, we, we think that it has happened. Um, it can be measured in some ways, but it can't be seen. So you would say, well, um, for example, a, a growing boy, a six, 15, 16-year-old boy, they eat a lot, they grow a lot, their muscles are growing and they're getting taller. And you think, okay, um, go run around the block. Do you think you're faster than you were? Maybe, Andrew, do you think you're faster than you were a year ago? Maybe, but they don't feel faster. So the growth is sort of, well, you may not see it until it's tested. You may not feel that you've grown, but you can see that you've grown. All of a sudden you feel, oh, wow, look at where I was a year ago and look at where I am now. I'm so much more patient or peaceful or whatever it may be. But we didn't see it happening along the way. So this gradualness of growth um, is something that can can be helpful to think about if you think, oh, I'm not growing. Well, it's, it's gradual. It's slow. It's not always able to be seen. But what is the, what is the seed that fuels this growth? The Holy Spirit. So if we have Jesus in us, we have to become more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, and so on. We have to. That's part of what his spirit in us will do. He says that he will continue the work in us to make us more like him. Um, there is a, a story that I, I really like, a brief story. Um, G. Campbell Morgan was a, a British minister years ago. He told a, st- a story about the power of growth. He said he was in Italy, and he was in a graveyard, and he saw where there was a huge marble slab over a grave, um, hundreds of hundreds of years old. But somehow an acorn had gotten in there, had gotten underneath that marble slab. And out of that acorn, somehow came a little shoot. And out of that shoot came a tree, and so big that the acorn, the tree had grown, and eventually it had grown so tall and the roots had grown so much that it had split the marble slab. So you think, wow, common sense, right? You have an acorn and you have a marble slab. Who wins? No contest. The acorn wins. Every time. It's the gradualness of growth that it will, it will always win. So if an acorn can split a marble slab, think about the power of the Spirit of God in our hearts. And this is just a very small example. But and in its gradualness, the Spirit of God has the power to transform anything in our lives. So that leads to changes internal. Right? Now think about this. Fruit, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Most of us know the list of the fruits of the Spirit. I read it earlier. Now think about this. Um, is leadership a fruit of the Spirit? Management? The ability to, to um, dance? Or about charisma? Or designing? Or building? Planning? These aren't fruits of the Spirit. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is... All these things, right? So there's a difference between the external growth, the more mechanical growth, and an internal, organic growth, 
right? So consider a pile of bricks, a pile of rubble. You're cleaning up a mess. You've got a little pile of rubble. Keep adding to it. The pile grows, right? Well, it grows, but it's not the same way that a child grows. It's growing externally. It's not growing internally. We can grow our resume. We can grow our impact while not growing ourselves. Um, even those like Martin Luther, John Wesley, um, were very externally growing. They were very religious before they finally got in their hearts. Oh, Jesus. They could grow saying, well, look what I've done. Look at this thing I've built. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love. And we like to read about love. But the part that says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and so on. If I have if I have all faith to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So, if we're not growing internally, we're not really growing. Oh, but lives are changing through me. I'm changing people. I'm changing things. Well, wonderful. But if we're not growing internally then something is wrong. Changing other people's lives is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's got to be internal. And I think I have struggled with that for for years. Um, I've felt a big difference in my life in that way this year. Um, I can finally see it in my heart in a new way, (coughs) which I'll elaborate on in a minute. Now, this last one for the nature is uh, symmetry. This one is kind of... Different. I mean, we may have heard these others. You may have heard this before, but I hadn't. Um, Paul says the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So he gives the singular, the fruit, and then he gives a list. Well, in proper English, no. He does this on purpose because the, the fruit of the Spirit are interdependent. Jonathan Edwards said that it is a concatenation of graces. So the real fruit of the Spirit, the real fruit of the Spirit goes together. It depends on one another. It implies each other. So, for example, um, you may see someone who appears to be very peaceful. They have peace in their heart. They're calm, nothing, you know, they're unflappable. Well, is it because of a humility of knowing God? Or is it because, you know, you think you know what's going to happen? Or, I've built all this by my hand, and I've got strength and prosperity, and I'm at peace because of what I've done. Well, that's not humility. That's not real peace. That's pride. But what if somebody is gentle, but they're not faithful? And what if you're sweet and kind to somebody, but you have no courage to confront them when they need to be confronted? That's not real gentleness. That's cowardly. Well, what about self-control without joy? You can always get self-control through arrogance. Oh, I would never fill in the blank. I would never do that because this person, these people do that. Well, that's self-control in a way, but that's not godly self-control. So there's a lot. I, this was very eye-opening to me to think about how all of the fruits of the Spirit grow together. Do our peace and joy promote integrity in our lives? Um, are we truly joyful or are we just a people person? Not me, but somebody. <laughs> um, 
Are we truly accepting or gentle with people, or is it just because, you know, if I don't have self-control of my own in this area, then I'm not going to, I'm going to be gentle with you if you're struggling with that, right? That's not true um, gentleness. So, all of these growing together feels very slow. Oh, well, look at how, look how much I've grown and enjoy. Well, oh, I really have a problem over here. So, um, these fruits always go together, and it can feel very overwhelming. But we can't change ourselves. We can't. We can't say, I mean, you hear, you hear all these diet plans, right? You can trim away inches from your hip, thigh, whatever, you know, if you're targeting this little piece. But all the, all the true um, dietitians and all will say, you can't really do that. You can mu- build your muscle there, but if you want overall health, you need to do your overall body. You can't just tone that little place. And it feels similar in some of these areas of growth where, oh, I have this, I want to fix this little problem over here, but I'm blind to the fact that you know, my self-control is out of control. I want to be more patient. So the process of growth. Why are these things growing in my heart? We did a a study in Crosswave Hands years ago. Um, It was Paul David Tripp, and it was about changing our hearts. I don't know if you remember it, but there there was a piece of that teaching that has always stuck with me, and it was, you know, when something happens, if you're stuck in traffic or you're your airplane flight has just been canceled or somebody does something to you and you have this instant response in your heart of agitation, frustration, irritability. What is it that triggers that? Or if somebody says something to you that triggers that in your heart, there's a reason. So I, I've, I've realized this in myself over the years. If I have an instant reaction, I start to think, why? What is the root of that thing? So why are these things growing in our hearts? We can't change ourselves. It's not the fruit of the Spirit versus the weeds of the flesh. It's the fruit versus the works because we're trying to change ourselves. So we are told many times to crucify the sinful nature with its misappropriated desires. So think about these desires. We say we want to desire Jesus more than anything. That can easily just become words. That's just words that we say, right? What does that actually mean how can that happen we have to think about what is it that causes us the most frustration internally well this person doesn't like me because i made this assumption about them or this this thing happened to me i want to be um i want to be in a different place from it i don't want to be stuck here so whatever these things are that can be good desires if they are elevated above jesus then they are misappropriated. They're too strong. We need to crucify these things that we're desiring more than Jesus. And it's very, it can be very difficult to realize what they are. For me, for a lot of years, it was, oh, I want people to think highly of me. I want people to like me. Well, that's not necessarily a wrong thing to say, to think. I, would, I mean, I want my parents to be proud of me. I want my friends to like me, right? Well, if that becomes a place where, oh, this person did this, and so they must not like me for that reason, and I'm upset about it for days. Well, that's that's elevating that person above God, really. And all of these people, whether it is friends, family, whomever it is, 
people at work, they need to be demoted. They really need to be demoted. And I have, I have thought a lot about that. Well, what would this person think? It, you know, first, what does, God, what does God think? So we need to demote these desires that kind of come around and get above Jesus. And it's not always very easy to, to realize that that's happening. But if we have an initial response to something, then we can start to trace it back and say, why? Why did I feel that way? So the, the, um, the way to fix this, so to speak, is very simple, right? It's the answer to everything. Keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit lusts after Jesus. It is so hard to put into words what that really means. We, we try and we try and... You know, the answer to everything is to desire Jesus more than more than anything. You can say it over and over again. And this past year, I feel like I have gotten these glimpses of what does that really mean? What does it feel like? What does it look like? And it's beautiful when 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 I've seen it. And some of it is seeing now in the context of eternity, seeing the beauty of Him. So I want, to, I want to share a little more detail about um, my growth in the past year. Um, last year, I was able to speak at my uncle's funeral, and I, I read a few lines from a poem um, about the gate of the year. And it's, this is just one little stanza. It says, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, Give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, Go instead into the darkness, and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light, and safer than a known way. So this is not, you know, you hear this maybe at New Year's Eve, but for me the year was kind of July to July. And preparing for this has really helped me to look back on this year and think, wow, a lot has changed in my life. Um, it's been internal. It's been changing in the way that I that I think, and I've thought for years. Well, if I can just think differently, then my, you know, my attitude would change, my actions would change, and then everything else would would change. And I've started to see a little bit of that, which has been um, very incur- encouraging. So I, I started thinking about what's happened in the past year. Okay, so it. it a year ago, when my uncle passed away, it was it was very difficult. It was it was a tragedy, and I was wrestling with, okay, these events have occurred. It's known as facts. It's known to be true. Okay, I know these truths about God. They are facts. They are known to be true. Well, I had to kind of wrestle to think about how are they both true, because over here there's this great suffering and pain and difficulty, and when we look throughout the world, we see it everywhere. And yet we know these truths about God, right? So the, the wrestling with that really helped me to start digging for the why. So in, as part of this, um, last year, it was close to my birthday, something I had been hoping for for 20 years. finally happened. I got to witness the total solar eclipse. It was awesome. I recommend everybody do that at least once in your life. It was just incredible. And you, you, know, you hear people say, you should do this, such a spiritual experience. It, it was fantastic. And one of the reasons was that I, I feel like in my life, a lot of the times when I see something beautiful and I know that it reflects God, I feel like I can't embrace it enough. You know, in the spring, when you have the flowers, 
or in the fall when you have the beautiful just you have this beautiful maple tree that you can't you stare at it you can stare at it all day and not really grasp the beauty of it or think about you know think about something that you enjoy maybe you enjoy the mountains or the beach or something beautiful um when you see a new baby come into the world something fantastic and beautiful that god has done and i always feel like it's just out of my reach we we get we get bored i mean we not bored but we we can't our attention spans aren't that long we were at the beach this week and we had a chance when the when the clouds cleared we could see the stars and the milky way we could see lightning around the horizon it was fantastic and i you know i got tired i wanted to go to bed well i couldn't even stay out there for 30 minutes looking at it but with this with the solar eclipse, we spent all day anticipating it. The eclipse itself was three minutes. It was awesome. And then we had time to reflect upon it. And I think in some of that, allowing myself that time to really appreciate and be wowed and let my heart just say, wow, God, you have made all this possible. It really helped me. Um, Another thing that happened was that Simon and, and I, and Jason some, to some extent, read through the entire Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis. It was wonderful. And it was so much fun with Simon because he had so many good questions. And he would, he would have these little aha moments of, oh, this little thing is just like what Jesus did. You know, when Aslan is on the stone table. Wow, that's Jesus, and he he got it. It was really cool as a parent, and also just as a person reading it reading it again. Um, I started listening to sermons when I was in the car alone, um, just instead of music or thinking to myself or something. And it 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 started in slow, and it started to grow. What is that from Charlie Brown or something? <laughs> but. Huh? The Grinch, yeah. So, but it's true because slowly I could see, wow, Jesus did this for me. I can know it more deeply. This person is passionate about preaching it. You know, there's there's something to be known there, and all these basics of the faith. If we dig deeper, there's beautiful truth underneath it. Um, we discovered Andrew Peterson. We found that song, Jason. He is worthy, and then I discovered the album, and I've been listening to it, and it's incredible excitement over the resurrection and what that means. Um, Preston introduced us to a book called Every Moment Holy. It, it, put, it helps to find godly meaning in the mundaneness of life and the excitement of life. Um, over the past year, I've encountered family and friends, friends of family, family of friends, who are facing um, sickness, facing aging, Facing, they're having to ask questions about end of life. Um, it's really made me think more about heaven. You started reading a book about heaven. And so all of these things combined in the past year have really pushed me in to knowing Jesus more deeply. I find that my desire for him is, is um, deeper, sweeter, it's larger. It's very hard to describe the words for it. Um, in the Chronicles of Narnia... Lucy, little girl, is talking to Aslan, who's a lion. Um, he represents Jesus in the books. And she's seen him before, and she says, Aslan, you look bigger. Have you grown? And he said, um, every year you grow, you find me bigger. And that's, that's put it into words very well. I've grown and found him bigger. Um, let's see. 
I already said some of these things. Thinking about what other people think. This is happening very slowly for me, realizing that I, this is something that I have in my, path, in my life and continue, will continue to do, even though I don't want to, um, really care what people think about me. And my mom has told me the same thing. <laughs> But demoting what these demoting these people below God, they're, what they think is not more important than what Jesus thinks, and it's not really fair to that person either or that um, that thing because whatever it is, whomever it is that that I try to put my value in, that's not God, will be absolutely crushed under the weight of my expectations. I can't expect my best friend or my family to fulfill my need for value. Only God can do that. I can begin to live in freedom, able to forgive myself for mistakes. I've been a perfectionist my whole life. It's, it's very um, trying to try to meet even my own expectations. Um, Tim Keller has this, this very good argument about, you know, maybe somebody doesn't necessarily believe in, in God or his moral code or anything, but he says, think about your own expectations for yourself. Think about your expectations for people you know. You know. They can't live up to your expectations, and you can't live up to your expectations. We can't even live up to our own expectations, much less God's expectations. And in that, it can, it can be very debilitating when you realize you're not meeting the expectations. We'll never be able to. No matter how good we are, we will never be able to. So how do we handle that? Um, Knowing what we're for and knowing his forgiveness for us is incredibly freeing. Um, a quote that I, I liked is, I have to take a while to digest it, but how you handle your now is essentially a function of what are you for. How you handle your life right now is a function of what are you for. Do you know what you're for? Do you know who you're for? If you can really answer those questions, then it changes how face life right now when no matter what it is um, this enables me to have more confidence in sharing Christ with others um, the gospel is mo- both the most difficult and the most complex and the most simple thing to understand people we all have a hard time believing that my sin is that bad you were just saying yesterday the God of the universe had to come down and die for your sin, for my sin. It is, that's very hard in our culture to, to consider that and think of that. People don't want to, to, to acknowledge that. Um, I can't be that bad. Well, on the flip side, he made a way. His grace is that good. He can restore that. Well, that's too good to be true. You know, it's too bad to be true. It's too good to be true. Well, which is it? And uh, with a lot of truths, um, in God, it's kind of both and, which in our in our culture we have we have a hard time understanding that. Um, thinking about heaven, talking about heaven. There's a quote I got to read to you from the Chronicles of Narnia. It's just incredible. Um, this is this is at the very end. So in the Chronicles, they get they reach the end, and the characters go to heaven, which is called Aslan's country in, in the book. Um, Aslan being the, the Christ figure. So as he spoke, as Aslan spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. 
And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was the only beginning of the real story. All of their life in this world and all of their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's just out of the imagination of an English writer. And yet it gives us chills, right? It's, it's just, it, it, can't, it can't reach the truth fully, but it, it scratches the surface for us. It makes us hungry for more. Um, and in that, it, this has enabled me to enter into suffering, both mine and others, um, enter it at all. Most of the time, I cannot handle to read the news, watch the news. It's kind of an escapism thing. But now in this world where we have worldwide access to all this information, there's something terrible happening somewhere all the time. And we are not God. We cannot fix everything, yet neither should we ignore everything. Right? Just this balance. Um, I want to be able to walk through sufferings with people that, who are suffering, walk through it with joy. When I encounter suffering, walk through it with joy. Um, we tend to either do one or the other. We try to escape it and deny it and ignore it and say this isn't happening. Or we embrace it so far that we're caught up in despair and depression. Um, Jesus allows us to both feel the suffering, the pain, and feel the joy at the same time. They both draw each other deeper. If I know the truth of the joy, then I can allow myself to enter into that suffering more deeply without just freaking out. <laughs> but the joy is also so much greater because we've seen what it is delivering us from. So the weight of this suffering can be very suffocating. And um, there's something I've, I debated on reading this. It's, it's, I'm going to read it. This is from the book... Um, Every Moment Holy, that Preston's probably told some of you about. There was a time, of, um, probably a few months ago, when I was very discouraged by the, the way just the world was going. I woke up one morning, and I, my heart just felt so heavy. And I would think, well, you know, I read this tidbit on the news, and I'm just praying to God, what, you know, how should I respond to this? How should my heart respond to it? What do you want me to do? You know, do you want me to take this thing and use it as an example to trust you with it? Do you want me to go do something? It, it's hard to know, right? And every situation is different. Um, and I stumbled upon this particular, uh, it's a poem. It's a liturgy. Um, it's called A Liturgy for Those Who Weep Without Knowing Why. Um, but I think it also applies to those who weep when they do know why. <laughs> Um, but if you've ever just woken up in the morning with a heaviness or you have a heaviness on your heart, I think you'll identify um, with this. So this is a prayer and a poem. There is so much lost in this world, O Lord, so much that aches and groans and shivers for want of redemption, 
So much that seems dislocated, upended, desecrated, unhinged, even in our own hearts. Even in our own hearts, we bear the, bar, the mar, bear the mark of all that is broken. What is best in this world has been bashed and battered and trodden down. What was meant to be the substance has become the brittle shell, haunted by the ghosts of a glory so long crumbled that only its rubble is remembered now. Is it any wonder we should weep sometimes without knowing why? It might be anything. And then again, it might be everything. For we feel this. We who are your children feel this empty space where some lost thing should have rested in its perfection. We pine for those nameless glories. We pine for all the wasted stories in our world, and we pine for these present wounds. We pine for our, our children and for their children too, knowing that each will have to prove how this universal pain is also personal. We pine for all the children born into these days of desolation whose regal robes were torn to tatters before they were even swaddled in them. Oh, Lord, how can we not weep when waking each day in this veil of tears? How can we not feel those pangs when we, wounded by others, so, sur- so soon learn to wound as well, and in the end wound even ourselves? We grieve what we cannot heal, and we grieve our half-belief, having made uneasy peace with dissolution, aligning ourselves with a self-protective lie that would have us kill our best hopes just to keep the disappointments half-confined. We feel ourselves wounded by what is wretched, foul, and fell, but we are sometimes wounded by the beauty as well. For when it whispers, it whispers of the world that might have been our birthright, now banished, now withdrawn, as unreachable to our wounded hearts as ancient seas receding down some endless dark. We weep, O Lord, for those things that, though nameless, are still lost. We weep for the cost of our rebellions, for the mocking and hollowing of holy things, for the inward curve of our souls, for the evidences of death outworked in every field and tree and blade of grass, crept up in every creature, alert in every longing, infecting all the fabrics of life. We weep for the leers our daughters will endure as if to be made in reflection of your beauty were a fault for which they must pay. We weep for our sons, sabotaged by profiteers who seek to warp their dreams before they even come of age. We weep for all the twisted alchemies of our times that would turn what might have been gold into crowns of cheap tin and then toss them into refuse bins, as if love could ever be a cast-off thing one might simply be done with. We weep for the wretched expressions of all things that were first built of goodness and glory and are now their own shadow twins. We have wept so often, and we will weep again. And yet, there is somewhere in our tears a hope still kept. We feel it in this darkness like a tiny flame when we are told that Jesus also wept. You wept. So moved by the pain of this crushed creation, you, O Lord, heaved with the grief of it, drinking the anguish like water and sweating it out of your skin like blood. Is it possible that you, in your sadness over Lazarus, in your grieving for Jerusalem, in your sorrow in the garden, is it possible that you have sanctified our weeping too? For the grief of God is no small thing, and the weeping of God is not without effect. The tears of Jesus preceded the resurrection of the dead. 
O Spirit of God, is it then possible that our tears might also be a kind of intercession? That we, your children, in our groaning with the sadness of creation, could be joining in some burdened work of coming restoration? Is it possible that when we weep and don't know why, it is because the curse has ranged so far, so wide, that we weep at that which breaks your heart, because it has also broken ours, sometimes so deeply that we cannot explain our weeping even to ourselves? If that is true, then let such weeping be received, O Lord, as an intercession newly forged of holy sorrow. Then let our tears anoint these broken things, and let our grief be as their consecration, a preparation for their promised redemption, our sorrow sealing them for that day when you will take the ache of all creation and turn it inside out like the shedding of an old gardener's glove. O Lord, if it please you when your children weep and don't know why, Use our tears to baptize what you love. Amen. So, change is not thinking, hmm, what should I change? It's um, longing for Jesus. And whatever the things are that need to change, they'll change. It's not a formula. It's, it's incredible how seeing Jesus both in our sorrows in life and in our joys and in our eternity and letting, ourselves, letting our hearts be excited, making an effort to, to find things that your heart finds beautiful in Jesus, whether you are into art or poetry or photography or leadership or whatever it is. Um, I've found that allowing myself to dig deeper and finding good sermons that I love to hear. When I was a kid, I remember thinking, Ugh, I don't want to listen to a sermon. It's so boring. But it doesn't have to be. It can be very exhilarating and exciting. Um, and he'll change us what he wants to change in his time. In Colossians 3, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And there's one last little prayer I want to read. Um, a lot of this came from Tim Keller teaching on the fruit of the Spirit. And he ended his, his talk with a prayer um, that I want to share with you. How will we love unless we sense the reality of Jesus Christ dying for us because he loves us? How will we get joy unless we see the beauty of what he's done for us? How will we get peace unless we realize that if we can't trust him, who in the world can we trust? How will we get patience unless we see him up on that cross saying, Father, forgive them? How will we get kindness until we see him pouring himself out? How will we get goodness until we see that we don't need anyone's approval but his? How will we get faithfulness until we see how he has never let us down? How will we get gentleness until we say, Oh Lord, if you were meek and lowly of heart, who in the world am I? How will we get self-control until we see that we've already got the thing that will ravish our hearts the most. So help us, God, in all of this, to see you more deeply, to long for you above all things. Help us to demote these other things, people, desires that come before you. Help us to see them for what they are and to call upon you to help us desire you more. We thank you that you are the one who has called us you are the one who has changed our hearts and turned us to you. We pray that we would see glimpses of change in our lives, that we would be encouraged by it, and that through it we would uh, love and glorify you. Thank you, God, for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name.